Welcome to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things Italian. We're very happy to have you back. And for those of you who are new to our podcast on this episode, perhaps, benvenuto. My name is Kimberly Holcomb, and I am a travel planner. I coordinate completely personalized trips for people anywhere in Bella Italia. And just to be a little bit more specific, I am not a travel agent, so I do not work on commissions. This allows me to customize trips for every single client. And let me introduce Tommaso, whom I could not do this podcast without. He is my live-in tech geek of all things. Buongiorno, Tommaso. Buongiorno, bella donna. Sono geek. (laughs) Bravo. (laughs) I don't know that there is a word for geek, so we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Tommaso and I continue to be very grateful for all the listeners we have throughout the world, which is clearly a testament to Italy's allure. Yes, and we currently have another country. I'm not sure which one it is, but 87 countries. That's so awesome. Now listening. And, you know, we could say... Il potere del pod. <laughs> oh my God. He's up here on uh, Google Translation. I bet you're looking that up. And it means the power of the pod. Si, certo. Bravo. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, so here we are with episode 54 on Napoli. Let me just try to quickly summarize why this city is worth a visit. And I say this because it's not on everyone's list. When they want to go to Italy, it's not on the top 10. So these little facts are just a fraction of what makes this place so intoxicating. And this is in no particular order, just a mishmash of facts. Here we go. Most importantly, it's the birthplace of pizza and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Thank the heavens. (laughs) Please. In the 17th century, it was the second largest city in Europe, only behind Paris. Who knew that? Isn't that amazing? That's wild. Mm -hmm. Napoli also played a much larger role in the Italian Renaissance, thanks to Alfonso, the king of Aragon, who luckily embraced everything, classical literature. He commissioned artworks and architecture. I did not know this at all, and I studied art history throughout high school and college. So... That's kind of a statement about my teachers, I guess. I had no idea. Could be in the next iteration of Jansen. (gasps) Jansen's History of Art Books. It's a great doorstop. (laughs) It's, oh, come on. (laughs) Anyway, Napoli also has the reputation of a gritty and dirty city with its fair share of graffiti. And most likely that's because of the presence of the Camorra, the local mafia. However, I think it's definitely getting better. It's cleaned up. A lot since I was last there. Another fact is it's chaotic due to the driving. Absolutely insane driving where the Napolitani don't seem to adhere to any rules at all. Like stoplights, they're not even recognized. They're not even stoptional. (laughs) (laughs) Napoli is a very noisy city, especially when there are football matches. There, you know, we call it soccer, they call it football. Between the cars honking, loud chatter in the dialect, mufflerless ape trucks during the deliveries, it's just a loud place, but in a good way. Another fact, Aperol spritzes are everywhere, luckily. They drink them like water. Thank the heavens again. Right. 
<laughs> they drink them like water due to the hot temperatures. And speaking of hot temperatures, the locals, especially the older generation, will hang out in their teeny Speedos all over the port, tanned to the nth degree, wrinkled like leather, soaking up the sun. And let me say, you'll never see an umbrella in Napoli. No one sits in the shade, okay? The tanner you are, the more famous you are down on that waterfront. And they also take a dip in the water, which is not all that clean right in the harbor. Also in Napoli, you'll see more laundry hanging than in any other city in the country. I mean, everyone does it, but man, it's it's congested. Right. With narrow little sidewalks, you know, carless streets. So and the clothesline is across yes, the alleyway exactly. to your neighbors. Yes. So laundry hanging everywhere. And Napoli has so many significant castles and palaces from the 12th century, and they're very well preserved and they're open to the public. There are pickpockets who target ill informed tourists, as they do all over the world, right. I will say. They are talented. Mm-hmm. So when you go to Napoli, just be smart. Don't wear a Rolex around at night. Don't carry a purse. Everything's in your pocket. Just be aware. It's just like the rest of the world. Yep. And here's my favorite fun fact. In 1984, the local government put in place strict guidelines of how pizza must be prepared in order to be truly Napolitano. Every single restaurant that abides by these rules has a certificate either in their window or stamped on their menus, and the initials are AVPN. If you don't see that, it's not legit pizza Napolitano. Now, when I go to Napoli for the first time Mm -hmm. and have true pizza, Mm -hmm. I may never leave. No, you wouldn't. No. You know how much I love pizza. So unbelievably delicious and so far removed from any pizza you've ever had. Truly, it's that different. Okay. In summary, Napoli has no intention of cleaning up its act, like the historic centers of Florence or Rome or Venice. And English is spoken mostly in the touristy areas. But all you have to do if you go outside that historic center, learn a few phrases, greet them with a buongiorno. And a smile. And in return, you'll receive even a larger smile, sometimes even a hug. They're very nice. They're very generous and friendly. And they just want to remain as they are and hope that you enjoy their city as it is. They don't want to change and become the Florentine. Too polished. Too too clean. Too, you know, whatever. Because of all this, to me, Napoli feels like it hasn't changed for hundreds of years. It's so far removed, as I just said, from the historic centers of Cento Storico, of Milan, of Venice, of Florence, and therefore it's worth a visit, in my opinion, if you want to see the real unpolished version of Italy. And also, I just want to point out one thing. If you remember, during the beginning of lockdown 2020, Italy was hit hardest, the longest, the worst. But do you remember seeing these images on the web of all Italians, but especially Napoli, because as we just mentioned, the roads, the little sidewalks are so narrow. You saw pictures of them passing a tray with a espresso across the little sidewalk, the third or fourth flight up, and they're sharing pasta. They're sharing 
espresso. They're sharing whatever they have. And they also were singing nonstop. And they started the clapping to all the people that were working in the medical industry to try and combat COVID. So I just want to remind everyone, all of Italy did it. They started this this good mankind feel of generosity and gratitude toward everyone. And it started basically in Napoli. So that's just also a testament to how friendly they are. Truly an Italian spirit. Yes. Okay, I'd like to take you back to my most recent trip to Napoli in 2019. And I was with, and this is important to keep in mind, (laughs) I was with four people from Los Angeles. And we drove from Umbria to Napoli. And for once, I was not driving. Our friend Stefano, who we've mentioned several times, he's always in a podcast for some reason, (laughs) being the larger-than-life person that he is. World-famous architect. Yes. So Stefano was driving, and about a half an hour outside of the city, I said, hey, if you'd like to pull over, I can drive, because it's kind of crazy. And Napoli goes, well, how bad can it be? It's like, all right, we'll leave it at that. (laughs) So keep in mind that Los Angeles and Napoli are probably the most polar cities in the civilized world. And most importantly, people in L.A., basically can only drive slowly because of the constant traffic. traffic. Yes. So there's Stefano from LA behind the wheel of our like <laughs> Fiat station wagon. It was plenty of room for all of us and our luggage, but it's kind of a large car for Napoli. So picture this, five of us in this car, we just get into the city limits on a late Saturday afternoon, early evening. And all of a sudden, I mean, literally we were in the city limits for like a minute and all of a sudden the other four people start hearing a little few swear words and like, Oh geez, look at that. Oh my God. And then complete and utter nervous laughter. And then finally like, Oh my God, this is insane. (laughs) And they were just so blown away because like a little small car on our right, would all of a sudden pass in front of you and go all the way over and take a left into incoming traffic. I mean, it was just nonstop. It was fast. Here's what they do in Napoli. They drive very fast and then they stop very quickly when, let's say, a mother is pushing a baby carriage across the street. Everyone will stop or an older person is walking or a dog plows through the intersection. So they stop but just like break your neck stopping fast, you know? And so none of these people from California were used to it. So he started going fast as well, just to keep up from everyone honking the horns at him and making gestures like you tourists. How many, how many times did he say, dude, dude, (laughs) Stefano is a classic dude. California is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we finally, found our car, our hotel, but obviously there was nowhere to park. So I said, let's just go around, quote unquote, the block again. That took like an hour, lots more screaming. And finally we got back in front of the hotel and I was just like, wedge the car in that teeny spot, just do it. And it, you know, he was a little nervous to do it. The back of the station wagon's hanging in the road. I'm like, just do it. So I run into the hotel, explain that we're here and ask where we can park the car. Cause I, 
chose this hotel knowing it had an underground parking garage, which is rare. So I run back. I tell them to go with their luggage and take mine and go into the hotel and check in. So I found the parking garage, took a while to jam that car down this ramp into this super narrow spot. I did it. And when I got back to the hotel, I couldn't find them. So I went to the rooftop bar and there they were drinking (laughs) and like crying with laughter from that insane drive. And so there you were the first half an hour into these people's first time in Napoli. And it was awesome. I knew it was like, they're going to really love this. So our goal, like every other tourist that goes to Napoli, was to go to the birthplace of pizza. (laughs) But I mean like the actual pizzeria. Okay. Okay. The one and only. You'll take me there. Of course. But anyway, this is an issue of some contention on its own. Who invented the pizza in Napoli first? Most people say it was La Antica Pizzeria di Michele. And some claim it was a baker, a Napolitano baker named Brandi, or Brandy, I'm not quite sure, B-R-A-N-D-I. Regardless, either way, legend has it that King Umberto and Queen Margarita visited Napoli in 1889, and wherever they had been previously, she requested something local, something different from all the meats and potatoes they were eating, etc. So apparently the baker Brandi made her a pizza. And on this particular pizza, it had the mozzarella, the tomatoes, and the basil, which, by the way, make up the three colors of the Italian flag. She was so overwhelmed with how delicious it was. It's her new favorite thing. Life was good again. And hence the name Pizza Margarita became the most popular pizza in Italy. I never thought of that. The three colors of the Italian flag. The green basil, the red fresh tomatoes, and the white mozzarella. We're having pizza tonight. No, we're not. <laughs> anyway, the Napolitani brought the pizza brought pizza to the United States in the 1940s, and it took off from there. I will say though, they came to the East Coast, and funny enough, like in New Haven, Connecticut, and New York City is where the first Napolitano pizza arrived. I grew up in Chicago, and what was there? Pizzeria Uno. The deep dish, like doughy. 10 cake. pound bomb of dough, right? Yeah. No offense, Pizzeria Uno, but compared to Napolitana pizza, it's so light and so fluffy. The big crust seems so large, bulbous, huge, but it's filled with air. Filled with air. So when you push it down with your finger, it just like collapses. It is so light, you're not full. You eat the entire pizza. Anyway, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me go I'm back. Getting hungry. <laughs> let me go back to the fact that the Californians and I took off for Pizzeria San Michele. However, like I said, everyone else does the same. And the wait was so long because it's a very small restaurant. It's kind of narrow. You wait forever, and not just tourists. Italians from all over the country go to Pizzeria di Michele. So the wait was too long, and I had a list of, you know, options two, three, and four, knowing that they could all be crowded, and they don't take reservations. So we went to number two on my list. Also, very long line because 
It was late May. It was a beautiful night and everyone eats outside. Everyone lives outside, basically. Windows open all the time. They're hanging outside. It's just the perfect climate and it's warm. So they prefer to be outside because, you know, there's really no air conditioning and things like that. So we declined to eat outside at the second choice because we had had a long drive. They wanted to eat pizza. I was like, well, we can go inside. We might be the only ones, but let's do it. So they take us up to the second floor and all of a sudden we're seated next to a table of at least 20 Italians and they were a part of a party or a group of friends or family and they were so excited to see, well, there's only five of us, but five Americans who were inside, who does that? And so they started chatting to us and then they decided that two of us looked like famous American actresses and they spent the entire evening trying to throw out who it was. So that was very funny. (laughs) And we had like a very nice time with them while eating pizza da morire, pizza to die for. And I had so much fun watching every single person's expression. The first bite, literally like their eyes close. (laughs) You can see their senses and they don't even open their eyes for a few minutes. And then they're like, oh my God. It is so good. And of course, we all ordered a different combination and then would exchange slices, which, by the way, you eat with a knife and fork. You don't pick it up by hand. You cut it on the plate. So we exchange slices, but I gave the orders, knife and fork only. Don't put us at risk by picking (laughs) it up with your hand. So we had wine and it was just so good. It's really, truly unlike any other pizza in the world and rightfully so deserves the recognition it has. So from there, after our awesome pizza night, we did the late night passeggiata with the masses. So what the locals in Napoli do is they just come from anywhere they live, the suburbs, the downtown sections. It's a pretty sprawling city. So they come from everywhere and just start walking, particularly in the Quartieri Spagnolo, which is the Spanish Quarter. So weekend nights, Friday, Saturday, Sundays is just jammed with groups of young people, primarily young. And they walk in groups. They're laughing. They're loud. They don't drink much in general. Italians, as you know, they do like their aperitivo and their wine, but they don't sit in a bar and drink for three hours. So they might have one drink as they're walking around or one little, you know, aperitivo, something to eat. But in general, their social life is to walk around the old historic center of Napoli, chat, laugh, have a drink occasionally, and you just keep walking, walking, walking for hours. So that's what we did. And again, these friends from Los Angeles were experiencing something so polar to their normal life, their daily life in LA, because no one walks in LA except to and from your car, right? So you can back out of your driveway and pull into the neighbor's driveway, (laughs) like like LA story. Right, right. That was awesome. (laughs) They also, in California, they eat very early and it's just calm. LA lifestyle is just calm and quiet and 
you know, involves a lot of driving. It's beautiful. I'm not putting California down at all. I love it. But it's so different than Napoli. So these four people, every time I turn and look at them, they just had smiles. It was like they just had like five espressos. They were so amped up because of the energy from all these groups of kids. So we felt totally safe and comfortable. But I also said to them, like I say to everyone, no watches, no jewelry, no handbags for the women. Everything goes in your pocket, phones especially. So we were cruising around for hours. And so finally, right before 1 a.m., I took them to Piazza Plebiscito. That is a very hard word when you look at it. But Plebiscito means in Italian, referendum. And in English, do we have that word, plebiscite, or referendum? No. I'm not really sure. But anyway, this is called Piazza Plebiscito because it was named after the referendum that brought Naples into the Kingdom of Italy in 1860. It was so important, they just built this piazza and named it that. And it's amazing, this entire piazza, especially at night. Because as I mentioned, Napoli's a little gritty and a little dirty. So during the daylight, you see this awesome piazza, but you think, hmm, needs a little fluff and buff. (laughs) But at night, it's spectacular. It has this circular church in the middle of the piazza on the north side. And then it has a very impressive half circle extending out from each side of the church of columns. And on this particular night, they lit the columns in different colors and Stefano's an architect. So he was pointing out the, you know, perfection of everything and how it was planned, even though he's a modernist, a hater of all things old. (laughs) Not a hater. He just doesn't. He he doesn't care for things old. But anyway, he was pointing out all the elements involved in it. And the entire goal of me taking them all to Piazza Plebiscito was to show them the Grand Café Gambrinus, another kind of quirky word, Gambrinus. This café also sprang to life the same year, 1860, the same year of this referendum. However, it's housed in a beautiful regal building from just a couple of years earlier that century. It looks like a palace and it's a cafe looks like a palace with arches and statues massive paintings gold gilt everywhere it looks like villa d'este and it's basically a coffee house and aperitivo house and it's stunning and it's open until 1 a.m but they start serving in the morning breakfast with endless endless pastry delicacies they have gelato cafe coffee all day and aperitivo hour. And it's also like the place in Napoli to be seen. So I took them all there, closes at 1 a.m. And Stefano and Caterina got a gelato. And then the five of us stood outside in the piazza. And we had it basically to ourselves. There were maybe like 15 teenage kids on the other side doing what they do. And then we finally walked back to our hotel and probably went to bed around 2 a.m. Which... I'm sure was the latest those guys had been up in years. Yes. (laughs) They eat early in California. They go to bed early. And these four people had the best time. It made me really happy. So Napoli makes me happy. It made them happy. I just think that it's really worth the visit. So for those of you that want to go, here's the places I would suggest seeing. Palazzo 
Reale in the same Piazza Plebiscito that I just mentioned. It's a neoclassical building and one of the most beautiful interior staircases I have ever seen in my life. Well, actually, I'll rephrase that. It is the most beautiful interior staircase anywhere. And I've been in a lot. That says a lot. Right? I've been in a lot of, you know, palaces, castles, Versailles, places all over Europe, because it's interesting to see what people live like in this opulence. Or Royal Highness Kimberly. Yeah. (laughs) A wannabe Royal Highness. (laughs) HRH. Anyway, anyone that enters this Palazzo Reale and to go into one of the private apartments that it was, you enter this room where the staircase is and everyone, I'm not exaggerating, everyone just gasps, stop in your track, stunning architectural element. So it has these dark gray and white tiled floor, marble tiled floor, but squares, but on a diagonal in the shape of the room. So visually right away, you're like, wow. Then it leads to this staircase on the wall with all the arched windows that faces the Piazza Plebiscito. So you walk up 10 maybe marble steps of the staircase. And then right when you reach the wall with the arches, it goes right and it goes left for two flights more. So it's this graphic architectural element that includes everything, marble, marble inlays, statues, paintings, arch windows. And then you walk up either side and you get to the entrance of what had been one of the regal apartments. It's just beautiful. Visiting Palazzo Reale is worth it for the staircase alone. Hmm. But instead, it's like Versailles, you know, large. It's not as large as Versailles, of course, but just how they all lived in the day. But what I find so ironic and so awesome is that the chaotic, loud, crazy city of Napoli is right outside the walls of this opulent, stunning, beautiful, Um. calm, quiet palazzo. Other than Palazzo Reale, I would suggest seeing two fortresses, castles, fortresses. They're both on the water and they're both amazing. One is called Castel Dovo, D apostrophe Ovio, and Ovo means egg. I'm not really sure what the original name of the castle was. I don't know that anyone does know because it's had this egg castle (laughs) moniker for centuries. And legend has it that the Roman poet Virgil had a magical egg put in the foundation of the fortress while it was being built. And he predicted the city would suffer catastrophes if the egg was ever broken. And this was built in the 12th century. So I know there's been a lot of catastrophes since the 12th century, (laughs) but who actually knows if that egg shell is still intact? We'll never know. The other castle, similar in name, is called Castel Nuovo, which just means the new castle because it's probably, you know, 50 years yeah, you know, newer, newer than the Egg Castle, and it is much more imposing with these five massive round towers united by, you know, like I don't know, twenty foot thick stone walls, you know, as fortification. But you can go inside it also. Castelluovo is basically empty; it's like a shell of the what the fortress was. So that's kind of cool. But this castle, Castelnuovo, 
has everything intact still, even from 12th century as well. So inside you can see in a cappella, in a chapel within the castle, paintings by Giotto. And they also, during some renovations, discovered some Roman ruins underneath it in this massive hall. So they chipped away some of that flooring and put a big, thick, you know, plexi floor down so you can see the Roman ruins right on the edge of the harbor in Napoli. Another very cool place to see, in my opinion, is the Archaeological Museum. It houses a lot of the original remnants from Pompeii. So if you don't want to go to Pompeii, because it normally has the reputation of being very crowded, I think it's totally worth it, especially if you're able to go off-season. But anyway, if you can't go or don't go to Pompeii, in Naples, right downtown, is the Museo Archaeologico Nazionale di Napoli, which you can translate that. Right. Uh, that's easy. The Ar- right. that's- National Archaeological Museum of Napoli. Yep. It's really amazing. And finally, for all art lovers, especially those that appreciate marble sculpture, go to Capella San Severo. And it is a church of Baroque architecture that houses the veiled Christ. And the veiled Christ he's laying down is considered to be one of Italy's most impressive statues. Yet it's not that well known to the masses. I had not heard about it until I was in Napoli the first time years ago. And my Napolitano friend brought me there. And you're just in awe of how this sculptor named Giuseppe San Martino how he carved marble to look like super thin fabric, like almost like a linen laying over the body of Christ. It's really, really incredible. So in summary, Napoli, in my opinion, is a fantastic place to go. I really, truly love it. And so has every single client I've sent there in the last few years. Even last episode, we mentioned my Danish family, friends that were in Napoli. And I suggested they go to Prochita, so that's why I mentioned them last week. But even they loved it. And they come from, you know, organized, clean. Copenhagen. Copenhagen, you know. (laughs) And they loved it to the point where I was just talking to her last week. She said, all of us, there were 10 of them. Some other people came from Greece and whatnot. They're like, we want to make it an annual ritual. That's how much we loved it. Wow. That's a statement, right? So Napoli, it's just a working city. It's loud. It's congested. It's gritty. It's bustling. It's busy, but it's real and it's rough around the edges, which is a welcome treat to a lot of people. I personally love it. And like, for example, here's a good example. I had these clients in December going to past December, going to Italy over Christmas holiday. And their daughter was studying school in Viterbo, which is north of Rome. So the daughter had been, you know, in Italy for all of three months. And she said, okay, for Christmas vacation, I want to go to Napoli. Number one place on my list. And the mom who I was dealing with, she's like, yeah, so we have to go to (laughs) Napoli. I was like, yeah, but you live in Manhattan. You'll be fine with it. She goes, Well, that is the point. I live in Manhattan. I really don't need to see anything kind of similar to Manhattan. I go, oh, it's not the same. (laughs) So I found them a nice hotel. They stayed two or three nights. 
I told him about San Michele. I told him about this sculpture of the Veiled Christ. I told him about the Archaeological Museum. And I sent them to Pompeii with my girl, my woman, I should say, my tour guide, who's the best of the best. And the the woman from Manhattan, she texted me the second day of Napoli. And she goes, oh, my God, I'm so happy we're here. But three days is enough. We're off tomorrow to Matera. <laughs> Even a diehard Manhattan family loved Napoli. Three days tops for them could be more for other people. But I suggest going at least a couple of days if you feel, like I said, if you feel like seeing the real deal. Before we finish, I want to thank a few people who left such descriptive and fantastic reviews on Apple Podcasts. Lisa Alis, 13, I'm not quite sure how I say that, but she's been binging them and quote unquote, devouring them as if they're a delicious dish. That is the ultimate compliment, considering I'm sitting here thinking Thinking about pizza pizza for lunch right now. (laughs) Also, thanks to KB1, who was turned on to our podcast by one of her daughters, and she's going with both of them this fall, so they're very appreciative for the info. However, I'm planning a trip for a woman with three daughters, two daughters that are leaving today. I should say I planned the trip. They're leaving today. I wonder if this is her. Maybe if it is, buon viaggio. They're flying out today. (laughs) Anyway, and then I have to give a huge shout out to a woman named Katie WD. She left probably the longest review in podcast history. (laughs) It's long, but it's awesome. She's getting married in a few months to an Italian in Italy, and they've been planning this for a year and a half. So in her review, she said, so I I basically finished everything. And then all of a sudden I had a panic attack thinking my entire side of the family that's coming for the wedding is going to add on to it and make a little vacation out of it. So my sister, for example, wants to take her family to Rome. I've only been once. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to make them have a great time? She said, so I panicked. So I needed to expel some energy. I'm going to go take a massive walk and find a podcast. So she found us. And then she said, that's when the binge began. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that awesome? She started with Rome, then got sucked into the Kitten Club, went back to the start of the Kitten Club, then Kitten Club 2. Then she finally started from the beginning. And she said, so in one and a half weeks, I listened to it all from beginning to end, but all mixed up in order. So Katie W.D., Have an awesome wedding, and thank you so much for that fabulous review. Speaking of Kitten Club, don't you have another one planned? I do, as a matter of fact. I have a Kitten Club in the works for late, late October or maybe most of November. It depends on where they decide they want to go. For example, they all got sucked into the Amalfi Coast episodes. If they want to go there, then we have to leave a little bit earlier because most things shut down tight at the beginning of November. So I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be, but I've got six other women Jones in to go to Italy off season with me driving them in a Mercedes van. Not, not. Not the Fiat litter, what'd you call it? The litter box. The litter box. (laughs) Anyway, so yes, I do have one coming up and I think we might try to Add another one to the so end of that. If anyone out there thinks of it, if you have you and five friends want to come along, whether it's uh, couples or 
Kitten Club Cuatro. Doesn't have to be just women. Doesn't have to be. We'd have to have a new name. Kitten Club Dudes. <laughs> anyway, yes, so we might uh, might throw that out there in a more prepared way next, next week. It, yes. Let me see how this goes. But yes, we might have the opportunity for a group of friends or family to to catch up with us after the first one's over because we'll be there. And here's what I'm thinking that time of year, Bologna, like eat your way through some really amazing cities, Bologna, Parma, you know, it's 1134 on a Monday and I am very hungry. Oh, already. For Pete's sake, he's always hungry. <laughs> anyway, I just want to say that some of these reviews we get, they use the word binge a lot. And that makes me really happy to know that we are the source of people's binging, binging in a good way, not of food or booze. They're binging on Kimberly's Italy podcast. Karina. Tommaso goes to Napoli and binges on pizza. Death by pizza. <laughs> yes. Allora, our next episode is going to go due east from Napoli back to Puglia. We did mention Puglia in a couple episodes of our Kitten Club trips, both one and two. But Puglia is large, diverse. I know it well. And it's the perfect, perfect place to go. To have a swim in a vat of olive oil. <laughs> I'm going to say in the beautiful Adriatic. That too, but. <laughs> anyway, it's the perfect place to go in October, November, December. Not everything's open, but a lot of things are. The weather's amazing. No one's there. The cuisine, the wine, it's awesome. So I'm going to go there next, even though we've chatted about it a bit, but there's a lot more to share. Certo. Puglia, it is. Okay. Va bene? Va bene. Grazie mille tutti. Ci sentiamo la settimana prossima. Thank you very much. And we'll chat to you next week. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao, amici. Ciao.